Welcome to Context, I'm Lorna Duick. COVID-19 still has our attention as this disease grips our world. Battling COVID-19 has taken attention away from so many diseases that people need to fight every day. Over a million Canadians have cancer and this pandemic has been tough on them. Our website interviews this week are built around cancer care amid this pandemic. Share our web links with those battling cancer in a time of COVID. We always bring you news that affects people, but this week the news affects me. This is my last episode of Context. I'm retiring from the show to spend more time at home with my husband of 40 years because he's battling an incurable disease, Parkinson's and we're not alone. A hundred thousand Canadians have Parkinson's. Even a few of our favorite musicians are with us on this journey. Neil Diamond and Linda Ronstadt. Ozzy Osbourne and actor Alan Alda headlined this disease. Former Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau had Parkinson's. No one has done more to make Parkinson's famous, though, than Canadian actor Michael J. Fox, who was diagnosed when he was just 29 years old. Michael has since created a foundation to find a cure for Parkinson's and raised over $900 million for that cause. Today we'll feature the Michael J. Fox Foundation co-chair, Dr. Sonia Mather. Like Michael, she had young onset Parkinson's at the age of 27. So we'll take you on a journey through Parkinson's with those who know it best. And thankfully, the team here at Context has a great future planned for this show. So stay tuned, because at the end of the broadcast, we'll be introducing you to the next host of Context TV, so you don't want to miss that. But for now, Let's learn from two of the world's best experts on Parkinson's, two of the authors of Ending Parkinson's. We have done the impossible before. The suffering we experienced, it pushed us forward. It did not stop us. Stigma was there. Our brothers and sisters marched on the streets until it wasn't. The challenge inspired us. Together, we rose to the occasion. We fought back. And we will do it again. We will end Parkinson's. Those statistics are from the excellent new book, Ending Parkinson's Disease, and two of the four authors, some of the best neurologists in the world on Parkinson's disease, join us now from Rochester, New York, Dr. Ray Dorsey, and from the Netherlands, Dr. Bas Blom. And Dr. Blom, let's start with you. Why is it accurate to call Parkinson's disease a pandemic? Yeah, it's a bit odd to speak of a pandemic in these days now that we have the unfolding corona pandemic. Um, and we typically think of an infectious disease when we talk about pandemics. But if you come to think of it, Parkinson's fulfills all the criteria for a pandemic. It's a worldwide condition. It happens globally. It's growing fast. It affects everyone. Nobody is spared. It affects men and women, young elderly people, and it has a devastating impact. And in that regard, it ticks every box of the criteria for a pandemic. Dr. Dorsey there in Rochester, what is Parkinson's? Explain to our audience how the disease works. 
so Parkinson's disease is fast indicates the fastest growing brain disorder in the world, faster growing than even Alzheimer's disease. It's classically characterized as having a tremor usually in the hands, usually worse on one side than the other, slowness of movement, stiffness, and difficulties with walking or balance. But as we point out in the book, it's much more than that. We know the symptoms uh, extend decades before the tremor, for example, develops loss of smell, constipation, depression, anxiety, and later in the disease, we see memory impairment, dementia, and hallucinations. It's a devastating disease. And Dr. Blum, tell us about how people battle the symptoms, because there are so many symptoms. One of the reasons we think our book is so important is that we draw attention to the fact that although it is a devastating disease, it's also a very treatable condition. There are drugs that help to restore uh, the deficit of dopamine and neurotransmitter in the brain, which help to alleviate the symptoms quite to a good extent. There is supportive treatment with physiotherapy, occupational therapy, speech language therapy. There are over 30 professional disciplines that have something to add to the lives of people with Parkinson's. It's not to say you need them all at the same time. It's more of an illustration of the complexity of the disease and how well we can offer support to these people. And there is deep brain surgery for a selected subgroup of people. So yes, it is a devastating disease, but it's also a treatable condition. And Dr. Dorsey, one of the arguments you all make in this book, Ending Parkinson's, is that we should start by treating it on the preventative. We should prevent people from getting this. What's needed on prevention? Yeah, so as uh, Boss indicated, you know, we, there are a lot of symptoms and rather than chasing our tail, we should prevent people from ever getting the disease in the first place. We should prevent people from ever getting Parkinson's disease in the first place. We know that there are numerous environmental factors linked to Parkinson's disease, certain pesticides, including a pesticide called Paraquat, these are nerve toxins. These nerve toxins dissolve in fatty tissues like the brain. And there are other chemicals like trichloroethylene or TCE that are widely used in degreasing and dry cleaning and refrigeration and mechanics and embalmers and wide range of professions that are contributing to the rise of Parkinson's disease. If we prevent the disease, we give people the greatest gift, never having the disease in the first place rather than having to rely on science and expensive therapies to try to cure us from these diseases. And part of having the disease, you all argue, is get a voice around it. Uh, Dr. Bloom, tell us about that. Why the need for a, such a, a new and loud voice against Parkinson's? I think many people with Parkinson's who are among the friendliest people on the planet, in my experience, um, are, have been way too kind and too passive. Uh, in our book, we draw parallels to the HIV infection uh, that emerged in the 80s and where people literally chained themselves to the front doors of the pharma companies demanding better treatments. And fortunately, HIV changed from a deadly condition into now a chronic treatable condition. I'm not saying that Parkinson patients should maybe literally chain themselves to the front doors of the pharma companies, or maybe they should, but I think it is really time that we address this global challenge that's going to hugely affect millions of people worldwide, that's going to have an impact on our economy, on family lives, on everything, demanding for more money to better understand how the brain uh, is devastated by this disease, how we can prevent the disease by cleansing the environment from all these toxic chemicals, and how we can offer better treatment and support for the millions of people affected worldwide. And maybe both of you can chime in on this. Um, 
maybe speaking from experience here in with Parkinson's in our home, I think the barriers to discussing this are part of the cognition stigma that's around this disease. The mood disorders, there's more than just movement at stake here, isn't there, Ray? Uh, yes, and fortunately, you know, a Canadian has probably reduced that stigma more than anyone else. Michael J. Fox, by sharing his story, has really changed the social acceptability of Parkinson's disease. It's still not accepted enough. We need more voices to come forward and share their stories, and we start to see that with Alan, Al Alan Alda, Ozzy Osbourne, Neil Diamond, Reverend Jesse Jackson, and others. Uh, we need to reduce the stigma. We need to reduce the silence around Parkinson's disease. Once we reduce the silence, once people uh, reduce the silence around HIV, the disease changed its course. And HIV, as Boss indicated, the motto was silence equals death. For Parkinson's disease, silence doesn't equal death, but it equals suffering, needless suffering, and preventable suffering. Dr. Bloom, why don't people come forward more easily about the, the struggle that Parkinson's can be? I think they don't come forward because they think that the environment, the people around them, think they're no longer worth anything. They can no longer contribute. They may lose their jobs. They may lose their family life. And if there's one thing that motivates me every day in my work is that people with Parkinson's, despite having this chronic condition, can make a wonderful and valuable and meaningful contribution to life, to society, to family life, to work. So please come forward. Parkinson's is something you've never asked for, but it's not the end of your life. Please come forward so that we as medical professionals and multidisciplinary teams can help you and so that you can be one of those millions of voices trying to raise further attention for this worldwide fast-growing disease. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Bloom, for joining us all the way from the Netherlands. Ray in Rochester, uh, here's your great book, Ending Parkinson's Disease. We've got a link up on our website. Thanks for being champions for this cause. You're more than welcome. Thank you for hosting us. Our pleasure. I mean, I really knew nothing about your foundation until I got diagnosed and then, you know, I was reading about it and, it, you know, I just really like the, uh, the work you're doing with the research and working with the collaboration. I mean, it's really very exciting. Well, joining us from Vancouver is Canada's best known podcaster about Parkinson's disease, Larry Gifford, together with his wife, Rebecca, share their journey, 69 episodes strong, the director of Chorus Talk Radio. Larry, thank you for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. It's a, it's a real honor. Well, we're thrilled. Canadians know um, how important talk radio is coast to coast in this country. You manage... Uh, all nine talk radio stations across the country on talk, but this is very different. You decided you need to start talking about your own conditions with Parkinson's. Why did you start that podcast? Well, it's twofold. Uh, one, I, 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 I was looking for a podcast that was from the patient perspective, and I found a lot of you know, great podcasts that were from sort of the scientific community, from researchers and from neurologists, but I, I, I wasn't hearing the voice of the person with Parkinson's. My husband and I discovered When Life Gives You Parkinson's, your podcast, uh, driving through Quebec last summer, and we were looking to just try to make sense of what was coming into our life. And it helped so much to get what I called socialization on this, to hear what you as other families were going through. 
talk to us about that, about meeting the community of the disease. Uh, the community of Parkinson's is, is just really amazing. I mean, the, the people that I've encountered in my journey, I would have never met before. So I, I kind of see getting Parkinson's a little bit as a blessing because it's really opened my eyes to the wonderful people of the world. Um, but, but having a community uh, and connecting with your community, sharing your experiences, uh, it makes you stronger and it, it unites us with hope. You were only 45 when you were diagnosed with this. You have a young son, uh, a mortgage to pay, full-time job. What do you do when you get tired? I sleep. <laughs> uh, two o'clock every day, I am just done. So I've told my HR director, I've told my boss, I said, listen, I'm closing my door to my office, turning off my lights, and I'm taking a nap for 20 minutes every day at two o'clock. And they're like, okay. Um, you have to sleep when you can get it uh, with Parkinson's. Uh, it, sleep can be elusive. Uh, and uh, when, I can, when I can get some shut eye, I, I get it. I mean, I have to tell my son no more often than I'd like to. Hey, dad, you want to go do this? You want to go do that? And I'm just exhausted. Um, and that's part of the journey of Parkinson's. And you are existing really strongly with your Parkinson's amid uh, regular work life. How do you feel... Uh, about injecting the conversation of Parkinson's into real life? Well, it's interesting. Sometimes it happens uh, when, you're, when you least expect it. I was, I was leading a group of uh, managers in an offsite um, last summer, uh, soon after I returned from the World Parkinson Congress in Japan, and I, I was very disconnected. Uh, and I was having these 45-minute to hour-long dys dyskinesia episodes, which is uh, involuntary movements that uh, are very jerky. It's what you see when you see Michael J. Fox. It's that's a result of the of, of the levodopa that you take, and um, they'd never seen that before. And I, it was new experience to me. So I'm trying to lead them through leadership exercises and realize I've got to stop down and explain what's going on. And we 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 used it as a teaching moment. And and all my staff and. And, and we, we talk about it on the radio, we talk about it in staff meetings. Um, you know, every moment that uh, somebody asks a question is an opportunity for education. Larry, you have helped so many of us with your 69 episodes of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Thank you for sharing it up there on Apple iTunes and thank you to Chorus Radio for creating the time for you to be able to do that. All the best to you and Rebecca and Henry. Well, thank you, and, and all the best to you and, and, uh, and your husband as you go through your journey. When we come back, we'll learn from the co-chair of the Michael J. Fox Foundation, Dr. Sonia Mather. She'll tell me about getting her Parkinson's diagnosis when she was pregnant with her first child. playing and you have injuries you know that you can recover from you'll be all right you'll be back on the court if there's something that you can't fix in your mind you tend to think that you're weak and I had to lose that because I really missed out on being able to spend some good time with these guys over the past few years because I was too nervous to go into the locker room because I didn't want the young guy seeing my hand shake
Well, Dr. Sonia Mather is co-chair of the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. Sonia, you were just 27 years old, like Michael J. Fox. You were just starting your career as a family physician. Take us back to grappling with a young onset Parkinson's. Yeah, it was a very interesting time of life. I had had, um, I was actually expecting my first child when I noticed a tremor developing my pinky finger. And I ignored it like any good doctor does, ignoring their own symptoms. Um, but it became more persistent and consistent for me. So it really was um, something that I couldn't ignore any longer. I went to my local neurologist at the clinic I had just joined as I was just starting my family practice. And he said, after a very short appointment that I think you have young onset Parkinson's and that was then further corroborated by another um, movement disorder specialist at the Toronto Western Hospital. Um, and that began my life with Parkinson's. And you believe educating children should be important. I love your, um, your book, Grandpa's Shaky Hands. Um, tell me about deciding I'm gonna help children understand this. Well, it came from real life experience. Uh, as I mentioned, I was pregnant with my first child when I got my diagnosis and I had two more daughters after that. Um, and I feel like this isn't a diagnosis that just affects us as patients. It affects the whole family unit. And those that are most vulnerable to that is, is the young people in our lives, our children, because they fear what they don't know, like, like adults actually. And they also depend on your reaction in terms of developing their own approach to the situation. So I felt important, it was an important um, um, issue to address with kids in a fun and engaging way, something that they could understand according to their age and stage of, of education. And so the first book I wrote was um, Grandpa's Shaky Hands. And the second book is for the a broader book. family audience. Yeah, the second book is really um, to engage families and to sort of serve as a conversation starter. Um, it was written for older kids and I wrote it with my three daughters. They helped out and so it was kind of a, a cathartic family experience as well. And it talks more in detail about Parkinson's disease, what causes Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease, what the symptoms are, what the treatments are, how children can be involved in caring for parents or grandparents with the, with the illness and, and what they can do because children really need to be empowered um, in order to feel comfortable. When they feel helpless, like they can't do anything to help, um, that's far more stressful for them. Okay, Dr. Mather, um, it's beautiful to have you on the Michael J. Fox Foundation as the co-chair there and, and for all the work you're doing. Thank you for the webinar you did for our families in COVID-19 on Parkinson's and COVID and all the best as you continue to uh, raise your voice for getting uh, a cure and treatment for Parkinson's. Thank you so much. Perseverance is at the heart of what helped Parkinson's patient Tim Haig and his son win the amazing race Canada. Now he's helping us all run our best race. His story is next.
Tim Haig Sr. and his son are well known for winning uh, Amazing Race Canada. And uh, Tim, we're thrilled that you can join us. Thank you, Lorna. It is a pleasure to be here. And yes, we won season number one, number one. <laughs> Congratulations. And that was with Parkinson's disease. Um, how has your disease progressed since Amazing Race? Well, let's just put it this way, Lorna. If I had to do it again today, I don't know if I could get it done. <laughs> it has been seven years already, and my Parkinson's is quite a bit progressed from what it was. Um, at the time, I was just kind of unilateral one side of the tremor. Now there's a lot more tremor on both sides, a lot more rigidity, slowness. Noggin doesn't work quite as quick as I would like it to most days. But um, all that said, I'm still doing very well. You know, your book, Perseverance, I mean, it applies to anything in life, but you've had to apply a lot of perseverance. Uh, Tim, tell us how you do that when, yes, there are cognition problems, there are mood disorders with Parkinson's as well. Well, it's a pain, to be quite honest with you. It's, it's very difficult, but um, I became a follower of Christ when I was five years old. My dad was a pastor. And faith has been a part of my entire life. Uh, if you read my adoption story, you'll see that it began even before I was born. And I've always said that it was Jesus who saved my, my height at birth. It was Jesus who saved my soul at five years old. And it's Jesus who pre pre preserves my life now with Parkinson's. And we all have put faith in something. And I put my faith in Christ. I, I believe that he will sustain me no matter how well my body, my mind, works in this life that one day he's promised to give us a new, a new body. Isn't that a great promise to look forward to? But you are now, uh, you've challenged my husband and I to get into the book of James in the Bible. What did James uh, do for you? <laughs> it's fascinating to me the things that God does in your life. You know, how he begins to prepare you so many years before you actually need things. I would have to go way back to when I was a teenager and in camp with Youth for Christ in Kansas City. And we would have Bible quizzing and we were challenged to memorize passages of scripture. Well, way back when I memorized all of James. And so, so that is something that my wife and I have continually worked on retaining and going back to over the years. And it has become fundamental to who I am as a believer, who I am as a person with Parkinson's. James chapter one is everything that I base my Parkinson's experience on. That idea of endurance, that idea of, of, of God is with us in the endurance. Well, you look at what he says there. You know, he said, per perseverance must finish its course so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature? Well, I want to be mature. I haven't quite got there yet. I want to be complete, and I don't want to lack anything in this life. And he has promised that. He said, if anyone lacks anything, he should ask of God gives generously to all without finding fault and it'll be given to us. It's there. We just have to be willing to stay on our journey with them. Okay. And what I love about what you and your family have started, U-Turn, uh, just tell us a little bit about U-Turn and why it's free. Well, U-Turn is just such a passion for me. Um, as a nurse, I spent 21 years as a nurse. It is my heart's desire. It always has been to just to help people. And we've got research covered in Parkinson's. We have the Michael J. Fox Foundation, Cure Parkinson's Trust in the UK, 
so many other entities around the world do a fantastic job of leading the, the way in trying to find a cure for this, or at least symptom management, so that we can live better in that regard. But precious few do anything to help people. Those of us who are alive and well today, who are attempting to live our best with this disease, we need exercise, we need good nutrition. There are so many things that we need in our intellectual ability, our spiritual ability, health, well-being, our social well-being, our emotional well-being, all of those factors that, that it that combine what it means to live well need to be addressed. And that's what I'm passionate about. You can see me right away get on my soapbox. <laughs> okay, well, and, and for all of those watching who have loved ones with Parkinson's, at U-Turn, you can get uh, speech therapy, you can get yoga, you can get exercise classes. We've been Zooming with you on your yoga class in, in, in the pandemic. Tim Haig, thank you for teaching us about perseverance and about taking Jesus with us on our journey through Parkinson's. Thank you. Amen. You're very welcome, Lorna. Thank you and all the best. So as I sign off now from my work at Context, I've got to tell you, the very best thing of working on this program for the past 20 years has been the teams that have made it grow. And that happened because of our charitable donors who gave to see this show grow strong in news analysis that helps people understand our relationship with God and His care for this beautiful planet. So thank you to all of you. And a huge thank you to our showrunner, Susan Ponting, who makes this all happen, to Crossroads and Yes TV, who championed this show, to the broadcasters who feature it, and to the many producers who have worked on it over the past 20 years. So now the really big news. And in this time of social distancing at a distance, let me introduce you to your new host of Context, Maggie John. Hi, Lorna. It is, I'm so excited. I am really <laughs> excited about this. Maggie first came to what is now Context in 2001. You were a young journalism yeah. student and you came for an internship. And then you left for CBS, New York City. And yeah. we were all like, of course, she's got so much talent. She's gonna go to New York City. And then 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that time? Absolutely. I, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was uh, earth shattering. It was emotional. Um, I remember working for CBS News. I was actually in the train uh, station uh, when I saw people rushing down and didn't know what was going on. And when I got upstairs to the offices, uh, saw the second tower being hit um, and it just was revolutionary. It changed my life forever. Being stuck in New York, this Canadian girl, um, and just seeing the world just light up in front of me. So, yeah. And I remember you and I talked back then. Yeah. And I asked Maggie, could you stay for us now and do God at Ground Zero? And yeah. you did a great documentary, made this half hour doc on God at Ground Zero. And um, I've followed your career ever since. You understand what it is to put God alongside the news to discover people. Mm -hmm. um, we're gonna be shifting our season for the next little while to completely online. What do you expect to be posting? Yeah, I think the conversation continues with COVID. As the world shuts down because of this pandemic, how are people surviving? How are 
parents teaching their children? How are our frontline workers dealing with all of this as they are caring for nations? Um, so it's a, a conversation that continues to happen. What I love about Context is there are faith stories behind every story mm -hmm. and we continue to delve into that's what attracted me to listen up back then so many years ago and attracts me to still being a part of Context today is being able to tell the stories of how God is moving beyond our headlines and to tell those stories well. Maggie John, have a wonderful time with Context. I know you'll be a great host for this show. And uh, wow, 20 years, it's gone so fast and you've been just a terrific audience. We've loved hearing from you. We've loved all your support. Thank you so much for this great run at Context.